the road so far. Thank you, Scorics! Very good. Carry on, my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no Warning, tonight on Hey Kids Comics we will be covering Preacher. Preacher is a mature reader's comic book. As such, the themes and dialogue are aimed at an older audience than Kerbos or the other usual comics that we normally cover. In past times we have endeavoured to clean this up and be responsible. Not this time. This time we'll be tackling Preacher head on and won't be sugarcoating it. If you didn't like Preacher or the themes it tackled, feel free not to listen to this episode. No harm, no foul. On with the show. Hey kids, comics. Once I rose above the noise and confusion, just to get a glimpse beyond this illusion. I was soaring ever higher, but I flew too high. Though my eyes could see, I still was a blind man. Though my mind could think, I still. Hello everyone, for the penultimate time, mm-hmm. and welcome to the show. Your weekly Australian comic <laughs> podcast. We were not, and never were, Australian. <laughs> no. I think we're quite cool. I think we have established that Australian women are pound for pound the prettiest in the world. Okay. I think, because I watch Neighbours, and so that's clearly true. Of course, yeah. And Mad Max. And Mad Max. And Farscape. I wouldn't say Mad Max is a good example of prettiest women. And maybe not Farscape with that old woman. True. <laughs> anyway, yeah, penultimate show. What, what are your feelings at this point? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting there yet. Are you not, have you not made your peace with it yet? That'll it's, be fine. It's not a thing yet. Is it not? No. Will it only be a thing when we get to the Thursday after and you don't sit down and do this? But yeah. you'll be gone then. I will, we um, are recording, lovely listener, right up to Michael leaving. I've got one weekend left. Yeah, and so we're doing a recording on the Thursday before you go on the Saturday. Well, next Saturday. Yeah, so we've got one more episode left today. Yeah. So this isn't the last episode. So you're squeezing us for every last ounce. You, you mean, you you are. How, how many more shows can we get in? Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah and, the, and that whole, we need to make this 250. Yeah. Because we're not stopping at 249. <laughs> That's not happening. Alright, okay, I'm, I'm st- I'm, I've just started writing the last episode. Right. I'm writing the last one that's kind of made me go, alright, oh, yeah, this is real, we'll stop it. For, only for a small period, if Michael comes over for October half term, we will do a special. Mm-hmm. We will definitely do a Christmas special. Long Halloween, we promised it, yeah, we will deliver. Mm-hmm. So that will happen, but on a weekly basis, this this is the end, my friend. It is. Yeah. What you got to do? You'll be Study. too. You'll be yeah. Education. You'll be too busy to cut. Yeah, I, I guarantee you. You'll be too busy living your life away from us that you won't cut. 
No, I you forget think, all about you. You think we'll miss you? What podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, there's five years worth of recording there of me growing up. Yes, yeah. five five years. Five yeah. years. Every single Thursday for five for years. Five years. Well, there's a couple of times we didn't do it on a Thursday. It's 250 weeks. Yeah, 250 episodes. Never missed a week. Ever. We were late twice. Right. Uh, one through no fault of our own because the website just wouldn't let me upload the episode. Right. One when we got back from Florida. Right. I uploaded it on the Friday morning that we got back rather than the Thursday night because obviously we were on a plane. Yeah. And we've given them a couple of episodes early, you know, when Christmas was around and such like yeah. that. But for the most part, 250 shows, never missed a week. Oh, it's, it's weird. Yeah, why? It's, it's, it's just, you don't think about it, do you? It's just, no, it's, it's Thursday, it's, record. It's Thursday, it's time to record. But then episode. you think back and it's like, bloody hell. Yeah, 250 of these things we've made. 250 creative artistic endeavours. Is that what they are? Or 250 recordings of two blithering idiots. You, lovely listener, must decide. <laughs> yeah, okay, alright, fine. Should we do some emails? Soon? Oh, it's, it's not really jabbed on you yet that, we're, that we're, we're knocking it on the head. What are your feelings on knocking it on the head? I don't know. You know? It's, it's easy. It's the easier choice. I think it's the more respectable choice. Okay. The more responsible choice. I honestly, I honestly think you don't realise quite how busy you're going to be. Right. And quite how much being aware and having that much fun is gonna. And you wouldn't want to be every Thursday at seven o'clock, seven thirty. You wouldn't want to. Oh, I can't do anything fun tonight, lads. My dad wants me to record this podcast with him. You make it sound like it's it's such a. No, such it isn't. Because there are many, many times that you're the one that's kept me motivated. Okay. There is quite a lot of times where you've been the one that's gung ho for it, and I've been. Oh, do we have to do this tonight? There was Christmas. Was it last Christmas or the Christmas before? I wanted some time off. Right. I just had enough. I wanted a break. And okay. you were like, no, we cannot not do a week show. Yeah. It's just not happening. But then the flip side of that is you're not the one who slaves over the editing. I have done sometimes. So, so yeah. So you can't, you can't, you have to think about the long run. What's the long run? Well, at, 250 friggin' episodes is a long run. Exactly. So at the end of it, yeah. at the end of that 250, we can look back and say that's 250 weeks. We haven't missed one. That's 250 weeks. If you'd have had weeks, yeah. that break, we wouldn't be able to say that's that. That's very true. And then who would we be? We'd be nobody of import. <laughs> Whereas at the moment, we are nobody of import. That is true. <laughs> but we have nobody of import who can say... That we made 250 <laughs> weekly episodes. And that is an achievement to be yeah, proud of. Beat that, anybody. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure there is somebody. I mission log does not miss an episode yet. I don't think, but they don't care. They don't listen to this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. That's that's that was my thinking on it. And I think once you get into your university stuff, there'd be times when Skype didn't happen, and we don't know what your Wi-Fi is going to be like. We, we don't want to be not great. See, so we don't want to be arranging. We'll carry on, and then your Wi-Fi just craps out every week. Yeah. And then what we would become then is one of those shows that doesn't do a show that week. Which becomes, well, we can't be bothered doing one this week. Once you've missed one, it just becomes easy to miss more. Yeah. And you just pod fade then. And I don't want to do that. I'd rather go out swinging. Okay. Which is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And like I say, we're not, we'd, we'd won't, we're not stopping. There will be future episodes after the final one. But it yeah. just won't be weekly and it won't be a, a regular thing anymore. Because life changes. Mm-hmm. This is what life is. If these past five years have been a journey... This is the end. Whereas, well, this is one of the things, isn't it? I always said the show was about the comics. Right. And ultimately, when I listen back to it, and when I read what people say to us, ultimately, it's not been, has it? Ultimately, it's been about us growing up. Oh, and I changing. I, 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 I don't think I've grown up. 
No, you've grown up more than I have. Maybe a bit deeper. <laughs> so I've kind of changed my mind on that. It has, this has become a little slice of life that we can look back on later and go, well, yeah, for five years we did that. And you can look, and it's, there's the body of work, it's there, it will stay there, it's not going anywhere until Two True Freaks disappears down a black hole. Right. Like we all do. When the world ends, yeah. the last thing that will go will be Two True Freaks. Yeah, Two True Freaks will live on. And these signals will beam out yeah. throughout space. And aliens will pick them up and they'll think that this is what the world was. <laughs> <laughs> Two blithering northern idiots talking about comics. And they'll go, hey, that planet Earth, it were eat good, wouldn't it? <laughs> That's all they were bothered about. All them pies. Aye, there were no wars, no political disagreements, none of that filth. They all just love talking about funny books. What a great planet. And then they actually come back in time and look at us and are deeply disturbed by what they really say. Yeah. So we, we sold them a false bill of goods. We did. It'll be quite disappointing. I'm sorry, aliens, if you listen. Yeah, future aliens, we apologise. <laughs> we are very sorry that we gave you this impression that life was just this big old bag of roses. And uh, In fact, it was chocolate roses with the nut in the middle. That okay. chocolate caramel one that everybody loves. The best one. Yeah, yeah not it, the crappy instead ones. It was yeah, instead it was those caramel ones that nobody likes that was pretty teeth. <laughs> Coffee ones. Oh yeah, the coffee ones. Life is a coffee chocolate. Nobody likes the coffee ones. No, nobody does. Anyway, enough uh, self-indulgent twaddle. Mm-hmm. I think we should move on to emails. Patrick Kukorin is our first email out of the big old bulging sack tonight from Metro Detroit. You know that's where Robocop's from. <laughs> Did I have a, a Robocop statue? Yeah. I think we've discussed this before. I'm pretty sure they don't. Like what if, if they don't, they should. Its head moved and had a camera inside it, so Robocop's literally watching crime. <laughs> and it's got audio recordings of Peter Weller. Stay out of trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, that would be so cool. Do you know what we should do for these last two? We should just bring back all the old gags. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some would say that's what we do anyway. Well, it's alright. Yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, his title for the email is Frank Miller is a Madman. Originally... Patrick thought All-Star Batman was going to be pretty good. <sighs> Poor deluded Sewell. 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 I don't know. Sewell. <laughs> Holy Sewell. <laughs> there, is no, there is no statue of Robocop. Oh, there is only Sewell. <laughs> uh, Patrick carries on. Uh, so I sat and read it along with you guys, and I was wrong and you were right, which is my favourite sentence in the whole world. Patrick continues, it is an insane mess. Batman is a sociopath. Women are far from empowered. And the JLA are written as bad as MTV's real world cast. I only remember the interesting bits like painting rooms yellow to nullify Green Lantern. The Jim Lee art was Jim Lee art. Michael, you had me rolling with laughter with the premise that Alfred and Batman cut hours of voice commands for the Bat Tech. <laughs> Turbos playing Rush. That's what you said, isn't it? Yeah. Playing the best of Rush. I think you two are onto something with this being represented as satire on comics and fan interpretation. Hell, maybe Frank is not that wacky. And it is an Andy Kaufman inside joke on us all. That would be quite cool if it was an Andy Kaufman gag, wouldn't it? Hey, a goofing on Elvis, hey, baby. You like that? That was my Andy Kaufman doing Elvis impression. Right. By Michael Stipe. Three. Calvin, three impressions in one. Awesome. Uh, yeah, Patrick O'Corran host Mate Dad Read Comics, uh, a podcast with his dad, right. which is an astonishingly good idea, and I can't believe no one ever thought of it. Why has no one ever thought of a, a father podcasting with his sibling? Well, in another ten years or so, mm. like I can, I can have a podcast with you. <laughs> 
around, doing in, the other way around. In that time, when I'm senile, you'll be old enough to have forgotten everything we've recorded. So I, we can just cover. I, it I am already material. old enough to have forgotten <laughs> what we've recorded. We'll just be stuck in like a perpetual endless. Yeah, we we'll just record comics. the same comics over again for another 250 yeah. episodes. I wonder what our Superman three commentary would be like that time. Exactly, our views would be different. Every it would time. be completely different, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so Patrick does that. It's well worth checking out. Go and listen to it. Um, Gabriel Jimenez, Jimenez has emailed in. I think it's, it's, it would be. I presume it would be Gabriel Jimenez. I mean, it's a bit late in the day, and he's, he can't correct us now because <laughs> this one will go. It's, up. it's sticking. It's but it's sticking. Yeah, he's goddamn Batman. Holy thought, Almighty! I can't believe you guys are covering this story. I'm so glad you're getting to this before Michael leaves the nest. All-Star Batman seems to be tailor-made for you guys to review. See, this is the thing. We want him to like it. Maybe that's exactly it. Is that where we went Frank wrong? Frank Miller? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Frank Miller knows Jack anymore. Probably Other than the size not. of his bank account. Ever since he started going political, he went a bit... Ever since Sin City. Ever since Occupy New York. Is that what Wall it was? Street. Yeah. Ever since uh, he went then, a bit mad. He's gone a bit. Mm. Uh, okay. All in all, I did not think highly of this at all. Screwed up tone, horrible dialogue, left me feeling cold and uninterested. But you guys had several great points I wanted to touch on. Robin smiling like he doesn't know what book he's in was pretty brilliant. I remember the cover, and you're right. He seems so bright and cheery. Not what we get in the book. You mentioned the tone of the comic, and that is what really got to me. How much of this is satire? How much of this is purposeful madness? How much of this is a creative team losing the reins of their work? Could it be that there was a reason behind all of this and it simply got away from them? Maybe by the time the story ended, the ship is right and they're able to pull it off. I guess I'll have to listen to find out. I wouldn't hold your breath on that one, Gabriel. <laughs> Whether they managed to fit. You know what? We didn't point out a massive plot hole right. in our coverage of All-Star Batman. Something we forgot to mention. Okay. All right. When... Robin's mum and dad get shot through the head. Yes. Batman picks up Joey Fatone or Joey Ramone or Joey Z or whatever the hell the guy's name was. Joey yeah. the Fish. Right. What was his name? I can't remember. It was something like that, wasn't it? Anyway, for the sake of argument, let's call him Joey Tribbiani. Right. So he picks up Joey Tribbiani okay. and he beats the crap out of him. Only if. Yeah. And then he says, Oh, it's Joey Tribbiani. Oh, I'm the goddamn Batman. So he oh. has an orgasm while yes. <laughs> well, he clearly did many times in that comic. And then he went, this is the bottom of the food chain. Oh, I like it. Oh, getting up this food chain will take some time. Oh. But then, right, yeah. they take Joey Tribbiani back to the back cave, beat him up some more, right. and he tells them that the Joker's in charge of it. Mm-hmm. Pretty small food chain. Uh, Gabrielle continues, you also discussed the role of the editor at this point. I don't think there was an editor who had to pull all the balls to get in the way of this creative team. I think he's absolutely right. And to uh, to emphasise this point, here's a portion of Frank Miller's script. This is true. Okay. This is Gabrielle Sensors. This full figure. Vicky Vale walks in in bra and panties, and not one inch of clothing more. Walks. No hell, she struts. Detail her bra. It'll drive him crazy, Jim. Make him drool. Okay, Jim. I'm shameless. Let's go with an ass shot, especially when she's got one fine ass. That's the script. Is that actually that? According to Gabrielle, Gabriel, that is. Actually, a quote from Did the DC script. not know that leaked? I, I have no idea. They probably don't care. They were too busy passing themselves on the back. True. Is that in the absolutes? I'd like not, the... not got a clue. I don't know. I don't know where he got it from. That's pretty shocking. Is it? Yeah. Are you really shocked by that? I'm shocked. <laughs> it is quite bad, isn't it? It is. Especially when she's got a great ass. So you can hear him talking off. Because she's right? got a great ass yeah, well, in it's... your head. It's stuck right up it. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can hear them <laughs> noises, can't you? Yeah, it's quite horrible. Dick Gabriel mentions what made me really angry was you mentioned that there is an absolute edition of this. I don't know who to direct Molly's Fury at to DC for having the goal to publish an incomplete story or the fan base. I think it's giving Miller too much credit when we call this a work of satire, a case of him willfully writing in order to expose what he thinks is wrong and how Batman has been portrayed. At this point, I just think he didn't give a crap. And ultimately, why should he? The books were selling like crazy, DC were praising the hell out of this, and I imagine they were republished up the wazoo. Also, this was a brilliant way to end the second part of the goddamn Batman episode. I was listening on my headphones, and for a second I thought they'd gotten unplugged or something, but realised that it cut off as you were reviewing issue 11. Such a cool touch on your part. Hats off, gents. Gabrielle Jimenez. Well, somebody else got it. Yeah. I thought it was funny. It was funny. It made me laugh, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> if it hadn't made me laugh... Because I had the same when I listened back to it, because there's always a two-week lead tap. So yeah. There's always a week in between me listening back to it, making sure it's okay. Make sure it's suitable for, for a broadcast. Right. So a lot can happen in two weeks. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I laughed at it when I listened back to it, because originally it was, what happened? Oh, yeah. <laughs> funny. Right. Yeah. Anyway, this week's message from Chris Franklin. I'll send it. Cindy types every other word for it. Yeah. I think every other. That's what we've decided, (laughs) yeah. Hello, Laylas. Hello, Christopher. You have me a Batman annual number eight. At least I didn't have you over Batman (laughs) number eight. (laughs) This story blew my young mind when I first read it. I tried to wrap my head around Batman killing Raz, but it's to Barr's credit as a great writer that although this is pretty out of character for any post-Golden Age iteration of Batman in comics, it doesn't feel that way. Barr is perhaps the only writer to deftly merge the Dark Avenger of the Night Batman with the Adam West Batman, at least in regards to Robin, who he does refer to as Chum, just like West. To me, he is perhaps the most underrated creator who has ever worked on Batman, and I applaud anyone who takes the time to sing his praises. I hadn't thought about Von Eden being Miller before Miller, but I can totally see it. Add in Lynn Varley, Mrs. Frank Miller, and the colorist on Dark Knight Returns, and you do have a bit of a visual and thematic prequel to Dark Knight Returns. This book was tooted as the longest Batman tale yet published at the time, adding to its epicness. I somehow missed the DC Comics present more Swamp Thing story as well, and first read this in the greatest team-up stories ever told trade in the mid-1990s. I still prefer For the Man Who Has Everything Myself, but there is no doubt this is a strong, stirring tale. Those extra special issues of the workaday team-up titles really did sneak up on us, like Alan Brennett's few issues of Brave and the Bold. And a couple of Marvel team-ups. Let's give some shout-outs to Marvel team-up. And two-in-one. Marvel two-in-one had a couple of brilliant issues as well. Uh, Chris continues, I haven't read any Sandman since my college comic shop days and my reading of the fourth world saga is spotty, but I recall the Doctor Destiny story. The fact that Gaiman took an old JLA villain who looked like Skeletor's stunt double and used him in this manner points toward the fact that he does indeed often live up to his hype. So mission accomplished, you got me wanting to read and reread some good comics. Well done, gentlemen. Well, thank you, Chris. We're going to miss Chris's emails. Unless he's true to his word and he keeps emailing in about shows that we never did. Yeah. I want to. I want to see what the topics that he comes up with. So if we can yeah, rip them yeah. off, I, I want to. I want to see where his uh, his ideas are going to come from. Yeah, because he's got his own show. So yeah. surely he'd be better saving those ideas for Supermates. Yeah. <laughs> Unless <laughs> giving them to us, we get the rejected ideas. Yeah. 
Brian Fanning has emailed in. Hey, hey, kids, comics. Long time listener, first time emailer. Well, it's you've just got it under the wire, hasn't he? Mm-hmm. First time emailer, emailer, penultimate show. I've been enjoying your show since I listened to your Batman Nightfall coverage. It's always like you both have a lot of fun when you are enjoying the series you are reviewing. It's a little sad that you're both really down on a series like the recent terrible Superman. Ugh. I understand that you guys have to finish up the show because Mike is off to university, but I really wish you guys would keep it going over Skype or something. Listening to you guys gives me a connection that I've never had in my life. My father passed away when I was at a very early age, so I never had that connection with him to talk about the comics I enjoyed. The person that I would talk to was always my older brother. He was the one who always would feel my addiction to comics, especially with G.I. Joe and Spider-Man. When I listen to you guys, it brings me a lot of joy. Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? Mm. Cheers, Brian. Well, we mentioned at the top of the show... We'd Michael's said that his Skype connection isn't his Wi-Fi connection is probably not that great, and I just don't want to fade out. Yeah, I want to go out on top. Like we said last week, how often do you get to choose how you end something? Yeah, don't happen that often. Life just takes things away from you. So, but don't think of it an ending. Think of it as a pause. We'll be back one day. A, a pause. Think of it as a pause. Yes, we in, will return. Indefinite hiatus. No, it's not indefinite. We definitely know we'll be doing something at Christmas. That's not indefinite. I guess. Yeah. So it's a definite hiatus. It's a definite hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was really sweet. So we do appreciate you emailing in just under the wire. I look forward to hearing all your return episodes and hope that you will get to come back together and do more episodes full time. I also hope that you guy would have covered some Starman because I think you would have loved it. You should also take a look at Earth X as I think much like the Morrison stuff, it would break your brains trying to write the summer. Uh, well... Cindy and Chris, who I just mentioned on Supermates, are doing Starman, so go and check that out, because they're doing a, a good job with it. And uh, he finally concludes with, good luck to Michael with college, hope he enjoys it to the fullest. Thank you very much. You'll, you'll be alright, won't you? I'll, I'll be All, I'll all be on your right. billy tard. All on my own. All on myself. New Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> That's all you care about. That is, yeah. Okay. Who needs friends for three years? When you've got Metal Gear Solid. And what would a penultimate episode of Hair Kids Comics be like? Well, it'd be like this, evidently, because we've never done one before. Mm. But what would it be like if we didn't have an email from Luke Jackanetta? It would be very disappointing. It would. It would, wouldn't it? Gun damn it all! I like that. That's good, that. Top 10 comics part 2. Andy Yon and Michael Zero. Do you get that? I don't get that one. I presume it's a super Gundam wing reference. I'll assume that also. Okay. Hey guys, just finished listening to your second Top 10 Comics episode and have to say that I really enjoyed your choices for the eclectic and wide-ranging Orisons. Definitely a good cross-section of different titles and different genres. Quick notes to keep this on target. Astro City is a great series, which, as Andy says, seems to end up somewhat overlooked in the scheme of things. I guess because it is not Kingdom Come or Marvels and uses analogues instead of real superhero characters, it doesn't count as much as some segments of comic fandom would like, which is a shame as to me it is one of Busiek's greatest works and one of the best comics of its era bar none. Michael talks about Mr. Miracle number 3, the paranoid pill, which alluded to the brainwashing of civilians to be fighting foes, which would later get used in Final Crisis. I would like to recommend that Michael take a look at Forever People issue 3, released the month previous, which features the debut of Glorious Godfrey and his Justifiers. This to me remains the most chilling of all of Kirby's anti-life related villainies from the fourth world. They believe, they judge, they kill, screams the cover copy. If you fear life, Godfrey will save you with anti-life. The sheer power of the Glorious One's voice being able to convince regular citizens to put on a helmet and surrender to anti-life makes him one of the most underrated of Kirby's creations, and the story is still pretty powerful today. Of course, both Godfrey and the Justifiers would play a significant role in Final Crisis as well. So there you go. No excuse not for read all those Jack Kirby omnibuses. Yeah, if it came out before, I probably read it. Then. You probably read that. Because it sounds. You familiar. should blitz through all of that. 
sure. Yeah, you'd love them. You know what you like. Mobile Suit Gundam. Andy commented that this story seemed like proper science fiction and that it was grown up. This is appropriate as Mobile Suit Gundam was created as a sort of response to the rise of the super robot anime such as Mazinga Z and Brave Raideen. Should that be Mazinga Z? It could be. Yeah, I would imagine, possibly. <laughs> Sorry, what do you want? <laughs> Uh, many of the super robots were brought to the West as the Shogun Warriors, the comic which I am covering over on Earth Destruction Directive. Luke got his own plug-in, well done. Tamino created a series where the robots were not super-powered machines, but rather tools to wage war. This concept was inspired by Heinlein's Starship Troopers, as Andy mentioned, and was revolutionary for the anime industry, giving rise to the real robot genre. Tamino also wanted to thoroughly expose the horrors of war, and his original treatise was even more grim than the show itself. Mobile Suit Gundam was not an immediate success upon release in 1979, but found its audience in the early 1980s, thanks to theatrically released movies, compiled episodes of the anime, and Bandai's continued merchandising. Today, Gundam is one of the biggest pop culture franchises in Japan, and continues to have installments and major fan support. There is even a Gundam museum in Tokyo, which features an 18-metre, 60-foot-tall statue of a mobile suit. That'd be awesome. That is cool. Did you see it? I've seen pictures of it, yeah. Oh, that sounds really good, doesn't it? That sounds really cool. The entire original series is being released on DV and Blu-ray starting in fall, if you prefer to catch up on the story that way. There's a lot of fun to hear about these random slices of four-colour goodness as we barrel headlong towards the finish line. Stay frosty, Luke. Well, thank you very much, Luke. We appreciate that. And, uh, as usual, dropping some knowledge, especially that 60-foot eight, foot, uh, thing. I'll have to have, you'll have to show me that when we finish recording. Alright. Anyway, we'll plug a show. I don't know who's going to be the penultimate plug. Maybe I'll do... Maybe I should... I should make a Palace of Glittering Delights trailer and plug myself, shouldn't you I? Should. You know what we should have? What? We should have people fighting over the position of being <laughs> the last Yeah, ever who wants plug? to yeah. be the last ever trailer in the last ever Hey Kids comic as a is. weekly show? The, the, uh, when this goes up, they won't have a say. Yeah, the, the, you'll have gone by the time yeah. this goes up. See this? Hello, future people. <laughs> Michael's left now. He's not sat at the side. He's gone. He's at university. He's uh, living the high when life. When this comes out, I will. But when this comes out, yeah, you'll have gone. Now that's when it starts being weird. Yeah, that's when it gets real, eh? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I don't know what it's going to be. I'm sure it's fun. And we'll be right back. Okay, doing the new promo. Do not say take the dare. Do not say take the dare. Okay, go. Hello, darling. Nice to see you. It's me, J. David Weeder, the Conway Twitty of podcasting. But please, call me Dave. I host a show called Dave's Daredevil Podcast, where I talk about Marvel's Man Without Fear and Netflix superstar Daredevil. But I'm here to tell you that things have changed. Don't worry, I've still got more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at and a desperado love for Daredevil. And episodes of the show still come out each and every Sunday. But now, Dave's Daredevil Podcast is part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. That's right, the show can now be found at 2TrueFreaks.com, home of Earth's mightiest podcasts. And if you haven't tried the show before, I see the want to in your eyes. So take the time to check out Dave's Daredevil Podcast, because sometimes you need a podcaster with a slow hand. Dave's Daredevil Podcast, every Sunday at 2TrueFreaks.com. Take the dare. I have no self-control. Preacher is one of those comic book series that it's hard to talk about exactly what it means to me. For me, Preacher is a snapshot of great change in my life. When it started, I was single. 
When it finished, I was married with two kids. I had a completely different job and a completely different lifestyle. All of which happened whilst this comic came out. And in my mind, it's hard to separate the life events of the time from buying this book. At the time of its first release, February 1995, I was probably buying less comics than ever before. And if you go and look at the titles that came out that month on Mike's Amazing World, you'll see why. Captain America wore armour, but didn't everyone? Spider-Man was in the middle of the interminable clone saga, leading me to drop Amazing for one of the few times in my life. In fact, Marvel were at a low ebb generally, with titles like The Avengers, Iron Man, The FF and Thor all trying to be hip and cool, but instead feeling like they were on life support. Marvel wanted to be Image, which was ironic, and there was nothing in the Image stable of books to entice me as a 22-year-old reader. It all looked, and still looks, absolutely awful. DC fared a little better. I still read Batman, which was in good hands, and the Superman family of titles had their moments as they approached the death of Clark Kent. But for the most part, I was rapidly approaching the point where I was ready to quit. And just when you're about to lose your faith, along comes a preacher. I suppose you don't have an introduction like that for Preacher, do you? Uh, you read them all much later. Yeah, it was when we were having the house done. Yeah, And that's... you gave me a box of all them saying, hey, read these. While you were up at your mum's. And I did. Yeah. Okay. And it was when I was at my most influential stage. What, ten? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I let my ten-year-old son read Preacher. No, I was... Oh, I'm shocked. How old was I? 14. You were about 14 or 15, yeah. Yeah. And it was like... There's a lot in it that you can just be immature about. There's a lot of times where you hear, oh, we have to wipe that candle's ass, oh, <laughs> ass face. Whereas, to me, Preacher and Jesse Custer is who I want to be. When you grow the up. The person that I strive to be. Right. They're a worse role models. Yeah. Huh. Very good. Preacher is one of the 90s best comics, along with Batman Adventures and Untold Tales of Spider-Man, it kept me visiting the comic shop. It was a roller coaster ride of a tale in which writer Garth Ennis and artist Steve Dillon, fresh off a wonderful and acclaimed run on Hellblazer, would somehow focus on many of the things I enjoy. There was the iconography of the Western, some good horrific moments, humour as black as a politician's soul, and a heaping helping dollop of jaw-dropping, I can't believe they got away with that, scenes of depravity. It was a good time all round, in many ways, wasn't it? (laughs) But all good things must come to an end. Unlike Hitman, which had its end foisted upon it, Preacher reached the end of the trail just as Garth Ennis had hoped. Despite backstage travails, which Ennis was never aware of at the time, Preacher emerged as one of DC's most successful and acclaimed Vertigo books. There are so many ways it could have gone the other way. Both of the main Preacher editors, Stuart Moore and Axel Alonso, later told Ennis that, had the powers that be actually read Preacher before it was well underway, it wouldn't have lasted six issues. It's one of those rare instances where the readership recognised a classic and turned it into such a powerhouse that DC couldn't cancel it, no matter how much they may have wanted to. What happened to the boys could have happened to Preacher. But it didn't. This story, at least, has a happy ending. The good guys won. Because if you remember, The Boys was originally a DC boot, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah. I remember it changing to Dynamite. First six issues were published by DC. Whoever the head honcho at DC was at the time. Was it Paul Levitz? Probably Paul Levitz. Read those six issues and said, no. We're not publishing this. There was a feeling, for me anyway, that there was some residual 
preacher guilt or hate as well. Right. But they don't seem to be sulking too much about keeping it in in print and making money off it, do they? No. So, you know. TV show. And the TV show. We'll talk about the TV show later. Preacher's final story arc, the aptly titled Alamo, kicked off in issue 59. All the issues were written by Ennis and drawn by Dylan, and the covers were all by Glenn Fabry. All of the Alamo covers follow the same trade dress, with a close-up of one of the main protagonist's faces, with something that relates to the story underneath. Here, Jesse Custer looms large over one of those buildings that looks like it belongs in the Magnificent Seven. It is, in fact, the site of the Battle of the Alamo in 1836, and, like a lot of Ennis's work, he's more interested in the legend of the Battle of the Alamo that of a band of men in a heroic struggle against impossible odds. A place where men made the ultimate sacrifice for freedom. We like the cover? Yeah. Who's he drawing Jesse Custer to look like this week? <laughs> I don't know. Because there was always a bit of a Johnny Depp vibe to him, but I get Dexter Fletcher, though. Okay. I think he looks like Dexter Fletcher. But maybe that's he's, just me. He's never... As he's not consistent. He's, he's more consistent with Jesse than he is with Tulip. He is. He's frequently off-model with... Both Tulip, especially Tulip. Yeah. Tulip looks different every time Glenn Fabry draws her, which mm-hmm. I will mention. Should we just do all the covers? Because they're all the same. Uh, right, issue six, as the Saint of Killers, massive mug over his own skeleton. Fabry seems to be using actor chief Dan George as the basis for the character there. Right. You know who that is? No. The Indian from the Outlaw Josie Wales. Oh, okay. You remember, you vaguely remember, because yeah. we have watched Outlaw Josie Wales. Mm. When I get to liking people, they ain't around too long. When you get around to disliking people, they ain't around too long either. That's my favourite line of his. I love him. So he looks like Chief Dan George. So that's the actor he's obviously using there. Her star's mug fills issue 61. The image below is a bunch of hooded men sat in a circle. Bit of a clan vibe going on, but they're members of the Grail Order, aren't they? Yeah. Um, I don't want to hazard a guess at who he's drawing for her star, but there's a bit of Grant Morrison there. Yeah. Bit more wrinkly. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Uh, issue sixty-two has arse face or Root Junior, as long-time listeners will remember him, underneath the town he visits in the issue Salvation Texas. Asian. Yes, because it's got the barcode. The over barcode it, it? ruins ruins a lot of these covers. Yes, yeah, the barcode uh, does. But you'd think Fabry would allow for that. True. Yeah, it's arse face is um yeah. We don't want to say who's, who's modelled. <laughs> we don't want to say who's Susie. No, we don't, know. Issue 63 uh, has Tulip take centre stage as she and Jesse, as she and Jesse kiss underneath. Tulip looks like Callista Flockhart. Okay. Circa Ali McBeal, which I don't suppose you've ever saw, have you? Robert Downey Jr.'s in it. You okay. know, when his career was on the, on the down low. Ah, uh, the drug years. Yeah, yes, it's Axamon, <laughs> the drug years. Issue 64, Cassidy's face looms over he and Jesse at the bar. Sometimes he's, um... What's his name? Pogue's guy. Oh. Shane McGowan. Yeah. And other times he's not Shane McGowan. Though, he looks a little bit like um, Colin Farrell. Yeah. Who I could actually see as Cassidy. I guess. I think Colin Farrell would probably work as Cassidy. Issue 65, the big baby Genesis cries below Jesse and Cassidy face off. Again, the barcode ruins it because it's splattered right over Jesse's face. It's a bit dumb, man, isn't it? Do you like those covers? What do you think of Fabry's covers for the final story? Yeah, they're Glenn Fabry covers. They're not the best, but they're a nice end story uniform. Yeah, and it, it works very well. Yeah. I, I like them as well. Sometimes Fabry can be a bit off. Yes. And then sometimes he's utterly magnificent. Yes. Like um, a lot of his Hellblazer covers with the skeleton. 
Yeah. And um, some of them are brilliant. Some of his preach covers are brilliant as well. Let's, let's not... Uh, let's not disparage the man. Unlike Hitman, Preacher's final arc had individual titles, the first of which was Texas by God. Uh, unlike other issues, as well as doing all the covers at the same time, I'm just going to synopsis all of Alamo in one go. So you can go and have a break if you want. Uh, it's only a page. It's not a lot happens, despite a lot happening. It's conversational. Yes, it is indeed. It's, it's Brian Michael Bendis, but good. <laughs> yeah, that is a glowing review. I want that on the back cover of the Ultimate Preacher Omnibus. Yeah. Which I would be tempted to buy. Brian Bendis, but good. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse Custer makes his preparations for his final confrontation, and we're better than at the Alamo. Well, how did he get here? Well, first he needs answers, so a quick visit to the former Adelphi Angels is called for. Jesse wants to know about Genesis, the power inside of him, and why God fled from heaven. The angels dig their faces out of the bowls of coke long enough to tell Jesse that the Lord decided that man needed to be able to think for himself and follow his own destiny. Well, the angels knew this was a huge mistake, and rebellion took hold. Jesse asks, why do they think that he did this? Mysterious ways is their only answer. Elsewhere, her star is getting over the loss of his genitalia. I say getting over, more it's driving him even more insane than he was, and he has a new and more simple plan. Kill Jesse Custer. His aides, Hoover and Featherstone, think he's cracking up. That night, Jesse digs up the bones of the Saint of Killers, and Irish vampire Cassidy makes a deal with God and get him to swap our places. I'm running up that hill... Okay, Bush? No? Okay. Just me then? You're putting all the songs I'm putting all of them into this one. Second part was called The Thunder of His Guns. The Saint of Killers arrives, as per the legend. He's about to kill Jesse when Jesse puts forth his deal. The Saint has been searching for the Lord since he arranged the death of the Saint's wife and child and found nothing. Jesse tells him that he has a plan that will make the Lord answerable for all his crimes. If Jesse could lure the Almighty out of hiding and back up to heaven, the Saint may be able to face him there. Say, if Jesse could make out that the Genesis power was gone? Before the deal can be struck, all the souls of the many people the saint has killed, which follow him around, walk about Jesse, and the saint says that Custer best not forget where he came from. Jesse says there's enough hate left in the saint for revenge. The saint agrees. If the Almighty gave men free will, then Jesse wants to know why he did it and what it's all for, and the saint wants to know why he wanted him to hate. Her star, meanwhile, receives a tip from a man with a southern accent that Jesse Custer is coming to his hometown, San Antonio, and that Armageddon is postponed. Jesse Custer's death is more important. The next chapter, The Wonder of You. Her star disposes of the leaders of the Grail and prepares to tackle Jesse. In San Antonio, Jesse and Tulip are seen by Hoover, who tries to take his revenge on Jesse for past transgressions, but ultimately, he ain't no killer. Jesse realised he was wrong to take his anger out on Hoover and makes him forget what he did to him. Next chapter, and every dog his day, an interlude focusing on everybody's favourite, Arseface. After his recording career died, Root Jr. took to the road and ended up in Salvation, Texas. There, he prevents a young girl with a similar physical affliction from being beaten when she is set upon by bullies, and, rather sweetly, it's love at first sight. It turns out that Lori, a cyclops, has a problem. Her brain doesn't translate to her eyes, and whilst she sees people as penguins, walrus, and talking trees, she sees Arseface as a handsome and articulate man. Arseface decides to take a job at Odin Quincannon's excrement factory, 
That's what he does. He processes sewage and lives happily ever after. Elsewhere, Featherstone declares her undying love for Star, who ignores her, and Hoover, after his meeting with Jesse, does the same to Featherstone, with similar results. In the hotel, after yet another evening of banging each other's brains out, Tulip asks Jesse why he sometimes helps out people like Arseface and Hoover. Jesse says they ain't evil men, they just hitch their wagons to the wrong horse. Everybody deserves a second chance. The next chapter, Jessie's Girl. Jessie wakes up from his recurring nightmare that Tulip is dead, a holdover from when she was dead, shot by Jody in the head, but resurrected by the Almighty as a present to Jessie to bugger off and leave him alone. This sets Jessie on his path, and he drugs Tulip, leaving her a note as to why he did what he did. Star, meanwhile, has gathered a team with but one goal, the execution of Jessie Custer. Sadly, Hoover, now happy again, has pulled the old put-oil-around-the-lenses-of-the-binoculars trick, leaving Star a laughing stock. Star blames Featherstone and spits in her face. As Jesse prepares to leave, he has a final talk with his spiritual guide, John Wayne. The Duke tells Jesse to go out head held high, and he's proud, before taking his final walk into the light. Alamo Part 6. If I knew the way, I'd go back home. The next day, Jesse finally confronts Cassidy, his former best friend. Cassidy bleats and pleads throughout the entire conversation, but Jesse ain't having none of that. 5am, in front of the Alamo. Elsewhere, Featherstone and Hoover have a heart-to-heart about Star, wondering exactly what it is they've been fighting for all this time, and Tulip wakes up really, really annoyed. She's going to find Jesse, save his scrawny ass, and then kick it all the way to Kingdom Come. Alamo Part 7 Shoot straight, you bastards. Jesse and Cassidy meet at the pre-appointed time, and Jesse proceeds to kick the living shit out of Cassidy. For all his sins, his treatment of Tulip after they thought he was dead, his beating of women throughout his lifespan, hell, his outright betrayal of their friendship, Jesse puts the smack down on Cassidy. See, Cassidy may be a vampire and have supernatural strength, but he never learned how to fight, and Jesse's technique and cunning wins out over brute force. Her star witnesses the fight and chooses to let it continue, telling his sniper to hold off. Of course, this has given Tulip time to get into position, and she manages to kill a few of Star's guards on her way. Featherstone also confronts Star and dies for it, as does Hoover, who tries to get vengeance for Featherstone. Tulip passes both bodies in the stairwell. The fight goes well for Jesse until Cassidy, beaten and bloodied, points out that Jesse's a hypocrite. What about second chances? Jesse points out Cassidy has had a thousand chances. Cassidy offers his hand and says that standing by your friends ain't easy when they're on the road to hell, is it? Jesse takes Cassidy's hand. Cassidy sucker punches him plain across the street. Jesse gets up, despite his breastbone being broken. Cassidy tells Jesse he's not going to fight any longer. He doesn't deserve Jesse's friendship. Never did. He's an asshole. He's always been an asshole. As the sun rises, Cassidy starts to burn. Then he's a flame. On the rooftop, Star orders his sniper to fire. Tulip bursts onto the rooftop, killing the sniper as the Genesis power screams and covers the sky with light. The distraction causes Star to get the drop on Tulip, but she's smart enough to wear a vest. Star advances, but Tulip places her gun under his chin and blows the top of his head clean off. She quickly runs downstairs and across the yard. Jesse lies dead on the floor, covered in the ashes of his best friend. Ooh, is that all the feels? Nah, we've not quite hit the feels. The feels of Tron yet. Are they? Mm. Alright, fair enough. Okay. Should we do some in-depth discussion? 
in-depth. In-depth discussion. Uh, as I said at the beginning, and you may guess from the synopsis, I'll just give you all another ample warning again. We're not dancing around the bush this time. We're actually going to talk about it properly. It's so. religion heavy. It is quite religion heavy. A lot of people think it's blasphemous. A lot of people think it's sacrilegious. I don't actually agree with them. I think it's easy to think that. I think it's easy to think that if you've not actually read it. Yeah. I was just going to say that. I think it's easy to pick up an issue of this. And it's one of those things that it's amazing that this got away with what it did. Yeah. And it's amazing that it didn't get as much grief as you would think that it would. Hmm. But ultimately, if you read the whole thing, I don't, I don't know that you can come away thinking that it is blasphemous or sacrilegious. And I've actually found a really good article from a, um, a Christian pastor, right, um, head of Christian comic books or something, who, who loves this. this series, right? Okay, absolutely loves it, and he explains why. I'll give everyone a link for that later on. Uh, we'll do the usual issue by issue drivel, right? Okay. And then we can we can get into to what we're we're talking about because um, some backstory may be necessary for some of our lovely listeners. Yeah. Because I was fine with this more than I was with Hitman. Was it? Yeah. Well, have you read this more? Yeah. Or is this just more prevalent in your memory? Both. Right, okay. See, I didn't remember a lot of this one. See, the thing is, you can actually chart... So this is nothing against you. But you can actually chart the point where I stop re-watching stuff a lot and rereading stuff a lot. And it's the minute you arrive... Yeah. And then we have Adam, and then we have Anya. And you just... You don't have time anymore to mm. do all of that stuff. So I didn't remember a lot of this. Yeah. I remembered the broad strokes. Yeah. But I didn't remember the details. I, I remembered pretty much everything. Mm. So it was nice to reread this again. And you know what? It made me want to go and dig them all out and reread them all again. Which Hitman did as well. Yeah. So it is nice to come back and visit something and, that you loved and it's still great. And mm. you still want to read it. Anyway, some backstory. The angels have been in the series before. And now that they uh, live on Earth, they're rather depraved. Indulging in all manner of human frailties, including hookers and blow. Yeah. Jesse doesn't like him too much. You know what this is? Supernatural's ripped all of this off. Yes. This is the seasonal arc for Supernatural for the past couple of seasons. The war between heaven and hell. Hi. What? Don't you be dissing on Supernatural? I'm not dissing on Supernatural, voice of God. That's what it sounded like. All I'm saying is that Supernatural has took a great deal of this from Preacher and has worked it into their storylines. That is true. It's the same. Michael's agreeing with me. It's actually a true story. It's no coincidence that Supernatural yeah. has Castiel. Yeah, who's John Constantine. And has um, an overarching story, which is Preacher. So that's going to be interesting to see what they do with the Preacher television show. Because Supernatural has took the main beats of this. For the majority of its audience, Preacher will be ripping off Supernatural. Supernatural. Yeah. That's a good point, that. Mm-hmm. It's only just having sat down to discuss it, it's like, yeah... Because Supernatural is the same thing. God has deserted heaven. Yeah. The angels are fighting it out. Yeah. The demons from hell are loose on earth. And Sam and Dean are trying to find out, well, where the hell's God gone? Yeah. That's the that's Preacher. The Preacher TV show is a bad idea, and that is one of the many reasons. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> well, see, Supernatural has obviously bled all of the religious subtext out of that. Yes. There's no... Well, no, there's a lot of religious subtext in Supernatural. What I meant to say, the reason for God deserting heaven in Supernatural is just unknown mm. whereas in this from the first issue it's he's deserted his creation and Jesse's like well why the hell's he done that I want to know what's going on Yeah, I want an explanation for it all so Supernatural's kind of wimped out a little bit on its examination of belief yeah. which is another thing that I think this is about 
again can you get away with it on a well that's that's going to be interesting to see if the, the TV show will even go near any of that yeah because Supernatural just kind of does it as a fun little horror show romp doesn't it mm. it's not it doesn't touch upon the same themes that this does in the same depth and with the same what's the word I'm looking for with the same thoughtfulness right okay that this does yeah 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 you, you don't examine your life after watching Supernatural. I'm not dissing Supernatural! That's not what I'm doing. You're actually sat upstairs just listening <laughs> to this. Yes, she is. Okay, but, you know, but Preacher, you, you end up questioning your belief system. Which yeah. is ultimately what I think it's about. It's about questioning. It's about questioning the people we put in charge. You can read God as the people in charge, if you wish, mm. and you're questioning what they're doing and why they're doing it. But anyway, yeah, yeah, so they're the, they're the angels. Her star, as his name would suggest, is a Nazi sympathiser. His original plan was to make Jesse into a modern messiah, thus bringing about a global apocalypse that would make Star supreme overlord of Earth. Obviously, that didn't go too well for him. It didn't. It I, did, I, think, it, I think her star's great. Her star is one of the brilliant comic book he bad guys. Doesn't, he goes through... He goes, he goes through, through so much. The worst anyone has yeah. ever gone through. And he still, he never gives up until the last That's moment. It, even at the end, he don't give up. And he's so, he's so big. <laughs> Doomcock yeah. is the ultimate description of her stuff. Yes, yeah. Well, he, he does hate Jesse, as you would if you'd lost your meat and two veg. <laughs> because of him. Oh, he brought a lot of that on himself. Let's yeah. be honest. But at the same time, he then... He was leader of the Grail. And it was the Holy Grail, wasn't it? It was a yeah. society of, of um, people for the Holy Grail. He was trying so to she, secure the bloodline of Christ. Yeah, they had the... Yeah, they had the, the not terribly bright person I'm who was the bloodline. I'm going to say this in the most accurate <laughs> way. The retarded the child. Me, The mentally disabled... Oh, okay, okay. Is that, can we not even say that? Now? I don't. I don't know that we can say that anymore. To be honest with you, but we have given a warning for this. Mentally one, so. challenged. Yeah. Child. Yeah. Super, Whatever the super, politically super correct term is now that we're not trying to offend. They're anybody. not so bright. Yeah, he's not. He's not terribly bright. Would be the nice, nice yes, way of putting it. Super yeah. stepchild of Jesus yeah. Christ. And, that, and he's because of that because they try to keep him pure, which doesn't exactly work well because of. Well, as we see from the royal family. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. So we're not trying to. old baby's born with one eye. <laughs> do, you, do you think it's not been already? Oh, in the keeping it a secret. Yeah, he's down in the basement. Oh, that is. And this baby that they've wheeled out, they've paid for it. That's not actually their baby. No, no, no. <laughs> this is a brilliant conspiracy theory that I'm just making up off the top of my head. It, it is, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, he decides to make himself the new leader of the Grail after discovering who the proper leader would be, as Michael just said. And uh, he even chose Jesse to be the new figurehead, didn't he? Well, that happened at some point. It's uh, they, they set up Jesse to be the second coming of Jesus. Yeah, and it's not subtle. No, no. Well, Gareth Ennis isn't subtle, but sometimes subtle. You don't need to be subtle. He's subtle. he's heartfelt. He's obvious in a subtle way. Yeah, yeah. which is. A neat trick, if you can pull it off. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, The Saints of Killers was once the most feared soldier in the Confederate Army. He's now the most feared being to ever walk the earth. The Saint sold his soul after a tragedy so that he could continue to kill. He is indestructible, lethal, and utterly unstoppable. He's Clint Eastwood. As the Terminator. 
pretty much, isn't he? Yeah. He's, that's what he is. Isn't he, hasn't Ennis said in the back pages, he's yeah, Clint Eastwood? Yeah, you know, if they make this into a TV show, Clint Eastwood needs to play him. Who's playing yes. him in the TV show? I have no idea. I don't know. I can't imagine it's Clint now. Probably not. No. Although Clint now is probably the best time. Probably the best time for him to play, because he's so wonderfully craggy now, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. Because they're doing a Westworld TV show, and I was like, you can't replace Yul Brynner. Right. And then they've got Ed Harris, and suddenly I'm like, okay, that can work. Alright. So, alright, fair enough. Uh, Genesis is the word of God, a supernatural power that Jesse can use to make people do his bidding. It does not work on everybody. It's the child of an angel and demon. There's that, which was one of his plots of Hellblazer. It was. But there is no connection between the two in any way whatsoever. No. For legal reasons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> As with Hitman, which we covered last week, this, this isn't going to make a lot of sense. Mm. in and of itself but we'll do our best to bring you up to speed Jesse is playing the long game throughout this entire arc bringing about his final confrontation with the almighty in his quest to find out why he turned his back on humanity as usual it's dark as hell her star having to get used <laughs> to pissing through a tube and the reappearance of the angels who don't want to do anything but enjoy the best life has to offer would be the nicest way of putting it. They were it? responsible for the Genesis coming down to Earth. Well, the angels were. Yes. Those two angels were the ones in the first issue. Right. See, I'd forgotten that. What were yeah. their names? Do you remember the names? No, I don't. I don't remember the names either. Anyway, Jesse's also after Cassida, who betrayed him. After yep. Jesse was believed to be dead. Because he did yeah. nasty things to he his girlfriend. He did nasty things. He kept Tulip addicted to drugs so that he could keep her around, didn't he? Yeah. So yeah, so we did lied to her about about Jesse. The last thing Jesse said to her, which we will come back to later on. Uh, this is funny as preacher was, but there's definitely a feeling that we're building up to something in this issue. And as with Hitman, the plot is reaching its inevitable end. Anything specific about the first issue? First issue is just a lot of exposition. It's the angels setting up the fall of the angels. Yeah, explaining why God gave man free will explaining his reasoning for giving man free will that's pretty much all the first as you got from the synopsis not a lot happened and there's what's the funniest bit in this issue was her stuff shooting something because there's an improper use of an inverted comma I, I love his example of when to use them <laughs> I don't think even in a show where I've said <laughs> we're gonna we're not gonna sugarcoat it that I can read that. No. Anything that includes the word sod and dick rag <laughs> is not something Okay, I, so we're reading it, uh, <laughs> not something I think that I can I can read. But it is funny. Yeah. And there's this brilliant thing that he's now bald and Jesse's carved a big line down the middle of his head. So that he literally is a giant, giant cock. Head. Yes. And see, that's the thing with it, because it is juvenile. Yeah. Ennis walks that line between juvenile humour and emotional depth mm. pretty much better than any writer. Yeah. Warren Ellis gets the emotional depth, he doesn't do the juvenile humour. Mm. Mark Miller can frequently be juvenile but doesn't do the depth. True. Morrison, Morrison doesn't... Hmm, you'd disagree with the emotional... He doesn't go emotional depth, I don't think. I think you'd probably disagree with that. I don't think he can do emotional... He can show emotions, but not mm. emotional. Right. See, that's why I, I think I like Ennis best of all of them. Yeah. Because he can, he can do that, and at the same time you're pissing yourself laughing. Because <laughs> this, is, this is funny, yeah. isn't it? Um, one of the good things about digging out these as issues as well is how many 
top star creators started on Vertigo. The British movement? Yeah, well, not just that. I mean, you're past that at this point, but Ed Brubaker's got Dead Enders, right. which I've never read, but promises to be quite good. Uh, Bill Willingham's got Proposition Player. He went on to be Fables, didn't he? Mm. Um, there's a couple of others as well. Transmet's obviously merged over to Vertigo at this point. 100 Bullets has only just started. The Invisibles is into Volume 3. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's Vertigo the... now is just a shade of its its yeah. This self, is the era of crappy one shots and miniseries by big names. Mm. Why were they crappy? You you know what I mean though. Not oh this was crap, but more like crappy TV that has big actors in it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Fair enough. So anyway, that was the first issue. It's still got my price sticker on the back. <laughs> so I must have got that from Blackpool. The title to part two, The Thunder of His Guns, is a poem by Gunner W.S.T. Stacey, 2nd and 3rd Field Regiment, Royal Australian Artillery. The poem was written during active service in World War II, and it's actually quite nice, and you want to go and dig it out. It's on the internet, because that's where I found it. Um, Ennis goes for obvious with her star. His choice of weapons get larger now that he has no no penis. Doomcock. Symbolism! <laughs> Yeah, if you're lucky. So that that's a bit obvious, isn't it? The opening scene's great. What's the opening just, scene? Oh yeah, when he when he, he digs up the sense of killer's skeleton and then he just walks through. I like what Jesse says. Mm. I don't get used to this part. Not even a little bit. And I like that he's sweating as well. Yeah. Because um, this could have ended badly for him at this point. It could have ended here. Yes, the sense of killers could have just shot him. And and that would have would have been all it was. Cause, uh, oh god, there's the swordfish. Yes, yes, the swordfish. I've never noticed the swordfish, but yes, the <laughs> yeah, the hooker rams the swordfish up, up a this. prune. It's her star, which is something that got complaints. Up her star, star. Yeah, that got complaints earlier on, which I thought did it. Thought, um, not because that's not one of the most ridiculous things in the. Remember movie. the arc when he got sodomised by a big Yorkshireman yes and then ever since then he had to that's the only way he could he, he, he found a sexual charge someone uh, it's in the letters pages actually if you go back and look someone complained saying being raped will not make you gay like that and then he said yeah I know but I wasn't trying to be serious oh right okay well it doesn't make him gay though he still finds women attractive yeah but there's not really a lot he can do about that anymore yes so that's the only way he can get any sexual satisfaction. I didn't read it as him making her star gay. I read it no, as this is the only way he can get himself... I didn't get that, but it's when you read how other people can yeah. take it. It's well, like, oh, yeah, I can see where you're coming from. I can from, see but... where he's coming from, but I didn't get that. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Okay, I don't remember that at all. Because um, Gone to Texas, which was the letters page, disappeared after a while, didn't it? Vertical got rid of the letters pages. Yeah. Gone to Texas was, is the only letters page that I've actually read every single issue. Because it was a brilliant letters because page. Because Garth Ennis himself actually yeah. did it as well. And it was, it was very funny. And he also um, he came up with soundtracks for issues as well. Which was ripped off later, but Hawkeye would do that. Yeah. And was that, what else did that? I don't Something Scott else Pilgrim did, did it. Scott Pilgrim. Well, Scott Pilgrim was kind of its own thing. Scott yeah. Pilgrim was influenced by the music that he was listening to. Yeah, it's not so much coming up with the soundtrack after the fact. Yeah. So. Whereas Preacher could just be scored by uh, Eno Morricone. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
In fact, that's going to be scoring it. There are, okay. For a few dollars more. I think that's what we'll go for. Uh, yeah, he summons the Saint of Killers, outlines his plan. Um, I never thought much of the controversy regarding Preacher. When, I, when it was coming out and when I was reading it, I do have to think that this would not get published nowadays. Well, I really don't think it would. Head shot off. Well, it's not just that. Which I think this. I think this thematically, seems... I wouldn't. It wouldn't get published today. No, definitely not. I think this seems great, though. Yeah, well, the Saint of Killers is gives um... Jesse his gun, and suddenly he carries the Saint's so, guilt. So, was it, did you think it's guilt? Yeah. Do you? Yeah, I, I read that the Saint of Killers has a lot of guilt yeah. for what he's done, but can't do anything about it. That's who he is. Right. Because that is a brilliant scene that you see him out there. See who? Well, I guess you didn't kill him. Look again. And he gives him his gun and he sees all the people that he's ever killed. It's the burden he has to carry. Mm, they just follow him around everywhere he goes. Um, yeah, see, I suppose you could look at the violence and, and think it's a bit controversial. I think there were more violent books than this. Yeah. There's more violent mainstream comics than this. This treats violence as it actually is, which is a different thing. Yeah, Jesse breaks his hand by punching someone. Yeah, so it's it's a different kind of violence. Um, it's the A-Team versus Justified. Mm. Justified played violence for real. It made you go, ooh, whereas the A-Team was a comic book. Yeah. And that's the difference between the two. Well, the best way to look at Preacher is reality, but with... Fantastical elements. Yeah. Not to be too con- controversial, but the best way to look at this is um, reality, but with religion and the occult as fact. Yeah. Well, no, that's that's not controversial, because that's what Razor the Lost Ark is. Yeah. We've said before on this show, to be an atheist in Indiana Jones's world would be to be stupid. Yeah. Because the Ark of the Covenant clearly exists. It's there. Mm. It's demonstrable proof. Well, that they, God exists. He kept it secret, didn't they? Yeah, but it's there. Yeah. It's demonstrable proof for those of us, for Indiana Jones. Yeah. Indiana Jones wouldn't be having a crisis of faith anymore, would he? That's true. Indiana Jones would also believe in extraterrestrial life forms. That's true. All, because... those, all those crappy history TV shows <laughs> that people take the piss out of. And Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones is like, no, yeah. no, they're real. So, yeah. Um, so, with regard to the, the controversy, I read this as being about friendship and loyalty and sacrifice. And it was funny as hell. Hmm. But the religious aspects of this, I I perceive this, but we've just talked about this, so how you perceive of it isn't exactly how other people may perceive of it. I read the religious aspects as being a man in search of his particular faith. Yeah. And now, as in Jesse's case, he may find out that he has no faith anymore. Yeah. Because the series began with Jesse losing his religion. He's a man betrayed. Yeah. He's, he worked as a preacher. He didn't want to be a preacher. No, he didn't. He got kind of forced into it, didn't he? But he was preaching the word of something that he then learned mm. turned his back on him. Yeah. And it's... he's Now he's asking why. Mm. He's questioning himself. And he's digging deeper. And I think that's a good question for everybody to ask. On occasion. Why? Why? Yeah, I think that's a great question that people should ask themselves every now and again. And it's a good thing that you ask, why believe in God? Mm. Why do you believe in God? And you do have the chance that people will get a bit... Uh, not too agreeable. Yeah. Whereas, to get it done in a piece of art like this is the best way to ask a question. Yeah, because people are going to have different interpretations of it. And like I said, there's a guy 
um, a pastor head of the Christian Comic Book Society who loves this. And I've got the notes There's later on. There's an actual Christian Comic Society? Uh, yeah. There's a society for everything. There is. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, personally, I don't consider any of these topics blasphemous. Yeah, it's, I, it's not blasphemous because, to well, that's, No, it's not. And I... Hopefully you are well aware of this as a 20-year-old now. We have always encouraged you to... You don't have to believe what we believe. Mm. You can believe what you believe. And I, and, I, and I do. Yeah, and we've had many interesting conversations about that. Yeah. Particularly you and your mum. I always just sat back <laughs> and watched... And they were fun. Mm. They were always fun. So, you know, but like the, yeah, like Michael said, the scene where the souls of the dead walk through Jesse, that's really powerful. And her star gets far more excited about finding Jesse than he does about the swordfish. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, quite remarkable mm. in many ways. And he gets his fire back, doesn't he? It literally is. Mm. Ahab and the whale. Yeah. Yes, it is, isn't it? It's Moby Dick. And loses his limbs. Yeah. Yes. Blimey, there is more to this now than I was thinking of. Call me Ishmael, her Call star. you Ishmael. Chuck Dixon writes the Vertigo on the ledge. I didn't know Chuck Dixon wrote any Vertigo comics. But uh, he did a weird Wartale special. Which, listen to this lineup: Garth Ennis, Jim Lee, Greg Rucker, Bruce Jones, Chuck Dixon, Paul Pope. Uh, a couple of people I don't know. Yeah, the other ones I don't know, but that's that's pretty stellar line. I think I read that one. Weird Wild Tales special one? I don't have that I've one. read some Weird War Tales and Weird Western Tales. Right. Well, I want that Weird Wild Tales wall. Weird <laughs> War Tales special one, just by seeing who the, the creative teams are in it. I want to I read that, so that's, that sounds quite good. Uh, the next issue, issue 61, was called The Wonder of You, which is an Elvis Presley song. Right. And the next issue is called... Uh, no, it's not the next issue. Issue. It's Which issue is called If I Knew the... Issue 64. If I Knew the Way Home, I'd Go... If I Knew the Way, I'd Go Back Home. Is also an Elvis Presley song. All right. But that was Where Do I Go From Here by Paul Williams. And it was used as the end credits for Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, which is a Clint Eastwood film. So where do you think Garth Ennis knows it from? Right. I would imagine it's Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. Uh, Star's hatred of Jesse is actually entirely understandable still hating a man who made your head look like a massive penis and then directly can't you have your genitals bitten off it's quite justifiable yes I think that's a perfectly this uh, issue has a brilliant opening scene you have this religious group in a, in a cave <laughs> in robes stroking their beards all around a table and at the head of it is a big a, t- a small little crappy monitor yeah. with a webcam on it and then Hurst, uh, oh yeah, we've, we've not mentioned that he's had his ear ripped off. Yes. And his eye poked out. No, he already, he already lost that, the yeah. eye. Right. So everything else that's happened to him has happened to him, but the ear got bitten off, didn't it? Yeah, that's, that's what made him who he is when he was a child. And they cut the stars. Yeah, so they did. Yeah. So basically, the beginning of the Jesse shows his soft side in this. Soft side, I should say. For the second one. time. For the second time. I do like how he refers to his head as a big, fat, gleaming dong. <laughs> Funny! Yeah. I did warn you twice, lovely listener. And we get a full frontal shot of We get a full frontal shot of his not dong. I don't know that I wanted to see that. But what, what did Thingy think? Well, I forgot his name now. Who? The artist. Steve Dillon. Yeah, what did Steve Dillon think when the script said right. close up of her stars Nothing. Penisless yes. crotch, but with a tube stitched into it. 
Which sounds painful when you describe it yeah. like that. <laughs> it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's his catheter thing, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. If you're working with Garth Ennis, do you just assume you will at one point have to draw the worst? Yeah, just assume at some point you'll get to draw Tulip naked, but at some point you'll have to draw <laughs> something gross and disturbing. Yeah. Because you're working with Garth Ennis. Um, as usual, Ennis, it's all about the characters and the dialogue. Stars screaming that this is now about his genitals, not mankind's <laughs> salvation, was hysterical. And Hoover and Jesse was really quite sweet. Wasn't it? Because he yeah. made, he turned the word of God on Hoover. And what did he make? Didn't he make him count every grain of sand on the beach? Yeah. And wasn't he there like three months or something? Was it every grain or was it count three million or something? I don't know. It was some three million grains he said. I stuck. So he said count three million grains. And if you have a look at him, if you go back and look at the issues, Hoover was really fat. Yeah. And now he's really skinny. His clothes don't hang on him. So he was there for some considerable time. Mm. And then Jesse's just like, I'm sorry, I apologise. Which was what was good about Jesse, because they are all people, mm. and Jesse feels guilt for his actions. Yeah, he's, he's not just a, a cardboard cut-out hero yeah, he of the did, story. He, he realises that he's made mistakes. He did the same when Earthface held a gun to him. Yeah. He knew that he was responsible for who Earthface is now. Yeah. Furtherless, abandoned, in yeah. exile. Yeah. And here he makes Hoover forget what he did to him. Love Tulip's line. Well, dip me in honey and throw me to the lesbians. Mm. That's hysterical. <laughs> and Hoover falls asleep on a bench, sucking his thumb. Oh, very quiet chapter. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. This is a quiet chapter. Um, the On the Ledge is Brian K. Vaughan. Brian K. Vaughan was writing Swamp Thing at this point. So, you know. Nextplanetover.com, I don't think they exist anymore. Preacher action figures. Which are crap. Yeah, they're not very good at all, are they? No. The Saving the Saints of Killers is terrible. Why has Gaff Ennis never written Jonah Hex? I don't know. You'd think that'd be a no-brainer, wouldn't you? Yeah. Jonah Hex and Garth Ennis. Uh, there's a John Constantine Hellblazer figure. Which is so much better than the one they've, out, they've got out now. Yeah, which is quite cool. And I've got that Zatanna. Uh, oh yeah, you have got that as a tanner, haven't you? Doctor yeah. Fate with the helmet that comes off, and the Spectre. A glow in the dark Spectre. Glow in the dark. Stands up on his cape. Right. Did you not want any of them? I'd have the John Constantine one. They all look pretty cool. John Constantine doesn't look anything like Tyne. John Constantine. Oh, okay. That's what he pronounces it in the comics. Right, okay. Let's get it right. Uh, that's what he... He doesn't look anything like Sting. He doesn't know. But uh, it is not a bad action figure. And SciComics.com, I used to read that, but that went the day of the dodo as well. Uh, the next issue is the interlude, which he had in Hitman. Yeah. With the two flashbacks. It's not so, what's his name here? It's just basically tying up arse versus loose ends, isn't it? Mm. The only thing you want to tie up, tie up arse versus loose ends, do you? No, you don't. I don't think I'd want to be involved with that, but, but whatever. Uh, Salvation Texas... Which is where Arse Face ends up. Every time he goes past somebody, you throw up. <laughs> Which I shouldn't laugh at. Yeah. But, but sadly, I do. <laughs> I, I, I do apologise for that. Salvation Texas. They went to Salvation Texas in a previous arc, and Jesse ran afoul of the locals and took bloody retribution. Mm. The, uh, the Quinn Cannon? Yeah. What was his first name? Because this is Odin. Yeah. He wasn't Thor Quinn Cannon, was he? He was not. Uh, well, it makes sense if he was something like that. The town with the racist. Yes. And Jesse's mum. Yeah. Well, basically, Jesse's made this place a nicer place. Because he was the sheriff here, yeah. Yeah. So by getting rid of Quinn Cannon, 
everyone gets along with. Which was, if you're following the, the Jesus comparison, was Jesus' exile. Yeah. So. Wow. There's that. I'm glad we brought you. <laughs> I'm going to miss you when I'm reading these and I don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. What's the symbolism here, me, Mike? <laughs> What's the symbolism of a big, massive gun for a man who has no penis? What does that mean? He's holding it kind of <laughs> low. <laughs> yeah, alright. Uh, Arsface is a pretty sympathetic character. Oh, and the, the Mexican. All the way through, yeah. He's now making a laughing stock out of all the white people. Yes, whereas he was he was victimised before, wasn't he? Yeah. So this, he's, he's, yes, he's actually made Salvation Texas a nice place. So here's a de- demonstrable evidence that he's made the world a better place. And his mum's still running the bar. And his mum is still running the bar. Still called Judy. Yeah. Which is good, isn't it? Mm. I like that. Nice touch. Um, Arsface just made a stupid decision, didn't he? And he paid for it. But as Jesse points out, he's not a bad guy. Mm. His inspiration was Kurt Cobain and tried to kill himself after Cobain's suicide. And got it wrong. Yeah. Are they going to update that for the show? Who can his hero be now? I don't know. Because it can't be Cobain. There's no one to have, really. Who was the recently, who was a big pop star, rock star of that influential level who then killed himself? Unless you completely change his character. What, and make him into... Was, was, is Tupac alive? No, Tupac's dead, isn't he? A long time ago. Right, so, so Tupac don't work either. No. I'm trying to think... Of, I'm trying to, Britney Spears hasn't killed herself. Yet. Well, either way, it wouldn't work if it was a Britney Spears. It's, see, that's what I mean. Yeah. There's no... You'd have to change his character. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with that, if indeed the show is of, of any good. Unless it is set in the 90s. Yeah. Well, that would work. Because mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter when you set this... But there are certain cultural touchstones. Yeah, it can't be before this. No, unless you completely update it. Because there's that one issue where Jesse just phones into radio stations. Yeah, to talk about topical stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that. But all right, we'll we'll see what we do. He did have a really lousy home life. Ultimately, though, his story, although milked for humour. Yes. By Garth Ennis. A lot of it. World. A very, very black humour. Yeah. A very black. Um, it's a sad story, though. Yeah. Oh, Spacey's story. And it's nice that Ennis gives him an ending that feels real. This is one of the subplots. It does date Preacher, with Mr. Root Jr. being obsessed with 90s grunge music, generally, and Nirvana in particular. But he does use this as an opportunity to comment on everything from celebrity culture to hero obsession to parental responsibility. And like we were discussing earlier on, he does it in a way that is touching, yet dark, Mm. and frequently takes the piss. Yeah. Even his happy ending was... Yes, yeah. Beggars can't be choosers. But he gets a happy ending. Yeah. And I love the two pages between him and Quid Cannon. Where Quinn Cannon says, place our own processes, sewage, see, treats it with chemicals, turns it into fertilizer, gets rid of it one way or another, keeps it from stinking things up. A shit plant. Will you shovel shit for me? <laughs> you betcha. Yeah, so he gets an ending, he gets the job, he gets the girl. You know? And it was nice that he ended up with someone else who was. Yeah. Not disfigured, but. No, we'll see. I wonder what, I wonder what happened to her. I only have one eye. Was this a. Cousins and cousins and things. Because there was someone else mm. who was a cousins and cousins thing. So I'd have to go back and reread it all to get that. So I, I presume that was some kind of callback. Yeah. And the ending to this one's really quite. Mm. Everyone deserves a second chance, and Tulip says everybody. Yeah. Because you know she's talking about Cassidy. Mm. Which is so that's quite. Cool. Next issue, 
starts with a dream sequence, Jesse's dream, where he imagines talking to Tulip with a big hole in the back of her head. Mm. It's pretty gruesome. Because let's not forget, both Jesse and Tulip have died. Jesse's not died yet. When he dumps out the aeroplane. No, he didn't die. No, God saved him. Yeah. But, but, did, but didn't he die and God resurrected him? No. Didn't he wake up on the floor? What happened was he jumped, he, he fell out, God saved him. Well, he jumped him, out of the place. said, stop doing this. Mm. Jesse refused, so God bit his eye out. Oh, yeah. threw him into the desert. Oh, yeah. So, but God saved him from dying. Yeah. And Tulip was resurrected by God. Yeah. As a, yeah, I'll give her your girlfriend back. Now, why don't you just bugger off? Which is what made Jesse even more set in his path. Yeah, so that God only brought Jesse back just so Jesse could tell, just so Tulip could say no, stop yeah. it. Alright, okay, Jesse's Girl is the title of this one, which is apparently a, what's his name, Rick Springfield song? It's a song, yeah. Yeah, I've mentioned it on Palace of Jesse's Girl. Yeah, that. It's on Guitar Hero. Is it? Yeah. It's on Guitar Hero. It is. That was Adam joining in the penultimate show appearance by Adam. Hello. There you go. Um, I, I, I'm just stunned by the... Because I did a Palace of Glitch and Delights where a Battlestar Galactica, Rick Springfield, is in Battlestar Galactica. Right, okay. He's Apollo's brother that gets killed by the Cylons in does about three minutes. Does he not get his minutes. space guitar out? He does not get his... And I was like, apparently he was some kind of pop star. Right. And I was inundated with emails <laughs> of people saying, how can you not know Jesse's girl? <laughs> and it's like, well, it's, it's obviously very simple. I don't like crappy 70s balladry. <laughs> so I was the Sex Pistols, dude. So yeah, all right. So that this this episode is called Jesse's Girl. Uh, Star is so obsessed with catching Jesse, he's not concerned where the information came from. And all we get is it, some southern guy phones up and told us. And you're like, talk about signposting it, are you? I don't know. When you're in the south. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, we know it's Jesse. Yeah, that's done it. So, all right, maybe it's not as obvious as, as I think. It'd be like somebody phoning me with a Mancunian accent. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I guess. So. All right, fair enough. Hoover's gag of placing black oil around the rims of Star's binoculars is hysterical. Yeah, now that he's not crazy anymore, he's he just doesn't care. No, it's funny as hell. The best one was I think it was in the last issue. <laughs> it's like I'm already carrying uh, thingies uh, bags. Yeah, why don't you so, carry your own? Carry your own. <laughs> And her dad's like, what? When did he grow apart? <laughs> so yeah, it, it's, he's, he's like he's got a sense of humour now. He's he's yeah. free of his guilt or, or whatever. Steve Dillon's art's brilliant throughout, which we kind of haven't mentioned because isn't it just a given? Don't just, yeah, don't just accept it at this point that Steve Dillon's brilliant. Uh, Still spitting in Featherstone's face though, and Hoover's reaction that was well done mm. because he blames. Featherstone for it and uh, Hoover's about to just break his neck which leads us up to a quite sad climax and John Wayne shows up final appearance of John Wayne which is quite a sad moment yeah the only reason we never see John Wayne's face properly is they couldn't get the, the thingy up they couldn't get the rights from his estate to actually yeah. use him in the book so they just kind of had to keep him in shadow and I stuff think like it's that. better this way though I do because you don't actually see him yeah and it's only a riff on uh, Woody Allen being talked to by Humphrey Bogart in um, God I don't remember which film it was it Manhattan Sleeper I don't know Annie Hall it's one of them so is that where True Romance gets it with Elvis yeah, yeah and True Romance uses Elvis yeah. same thing they're all 
pissing in the same well. They're all ripping off Woody Allen. Yeah. So, this, yeah. This was quite sad. Yeah. Because you could say that this is where Jesse grows up. Yeah. He turns his back on, on the guy who saved him, essentially, when he was in the coffin. His childhood friend. Yeah. His imaginary friend. But his only childhood friend. Yeah. Was John well, Wayne. They shot the other one. Yes. Yeah, they did, didn't they? Yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Again, it's set up. Yeah. But it's good set but you up. get with John Wayne walking through the door at the end, this is the end. Yeah, well, it's also echoing the end of The Searchers. Right. When John Wayne walks through the doorway on his own. Mm. Because that's the only way he can be. He's not a civilised man. He can't live in civilization. Right. So John Wayne leaves the family and goes off on his own and walks back into the desert. So it's echoing the, the end of the searches, which I presume would be one of Jesse's favourite movies. Mm. Uh, I presume that. Issue 64 starts with Cassidy having a monologue about the film Breaker, Breaker Morant, which starred Edward Woodward, which is a pretty good film. Breaker Morant. Watched that with my granddad when I was a kid. Because it was about the Boer War. My granddad was into war stuff. He was, yeah. He was, so, so I remember he that. He made me watch a film about a, uh, a craft carrier one time. Did he? Yeah. Do you remember what the film was? No, I don't. Oh. It was a crappy straight-to-DVD one. Oh, right. He got it free with a TV DVD player. <laughs> did he really? He did. But he, he got it out and said, I've seen this, it's good. And was it now? So, yeah, it was a bit boring. Yeah, it was a bit dumb. All right, fair enough. Um, I do like the line, what's an Australian film without Brian Brown? <laughs> good old, dull old Brian Brown. He did used to be in every Australian movie. Okay. And he was in FX with um, Brian Dehenna. These is not ringing any bells for it's you. It's not. I've no. not seen it for ages. I don't know what Brian Brown's done for a while. But right. for a while he was ubiquitous in Australian Australian flights. Before Mel Gibson. Uh, he was always more interesting than Mel Gibson. Fair enough. I never liked Mel Gibson, did I? Apart from Mad Max 2. <laughs> the only time he's vaguely tolerable is in Mad Max 2. Uh, the rest of this issue is one we have slagged off other comics for. Mm. And in lesser writers' hands would be awful. It's Jesse and Cassidy talking at a bar. And Cassidy is just far too whiny. He's one of those people for whom life was a constant pain in the ass, but it was everybody else's fault, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but I, I, I did like that, because it, you don't... All the way through, you're following Jesse, yeah. and you've seen the bad things that uh, Cassidy's done. Yeah, he's beat women, which is yeah. a particular bugbear of mine, as but long-time this, listeners will know. This issue is Jesse explaining his actions, and Jesse doesn't care, and neither does the reader, but... it's Yeah, but do you not think he's, he's explaining his actions? And he did go through a pretty substantial character arc, but he's just far too mopey to have any redemption. You don't get that he's, he's sorry, really. Until no. the very, very end when Jesse, when he punches him. Yeah. At the you end. don't get that, but I feel like without this issue and without this conversation, Jesse just wouldn't... The ending doesn't work. Even if he is whiny and he is blaming everyone else, he, this is who he is. And mm. to not have this, he wouldn't be who he is in the end. Yeah, but even then, I mean, he got compared to Buzz from the Supergirl comics a lot and Spike... Obviously, yeah. from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But Buzz remained a bastard from beginning to end. Mm. And Spike, you did actually get the feeling that Spike was at least attempting to be redeemed. Yeah. I never got that Cassidy wanted to be a better person. He just didn't want to be caught. He just didn't like that he got caught doing what he did. Yeah. He didn't seem to want to be a better person. He liked being a vampire. He wasn't big on killing people. That's no. true. Mm. 
but at the same time, so this is, I kind of got a bit of it like he didn't like it. That's just who he is. Yeah, because we, when we did that preacher special, the Cassidy special, he yeah. comes across in that one as being moderately noble. Yeah, but well, we find out the girl he gets with that one, he punched mm. her eye out. Yeah, so. But no, I felt as though he couldn't escape who he was. He didn't like who he was, and he was a bastard. But that's who he was. He couldn't change that. So when he gets his happy ending, he can mm. start afresh as a new person. Do you think he did? I'd hope so, otherwise... Otherwise there's no point. So everyone deserves a second chance. Mm. Which is, again, one of the themes of the, the strip. See, I'm the more cynical side. I don't think people do change. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Tulip is understandably very, very annoyed yeah. at being left behind. Sets about tracking Jesse down. Featherstone and Hoover have a heart-to-heart where we learn Featherstone's sister was raped and murdered. A description of it's pretty horrific stuff. But I like that you hear... Do you about... really? No, no, I don't. <laughs> I know what you mean. Someone, you know, you hear all sorts of stories where people say, God doesn't exist because this has happened, that yeah. happened, that. So that's why I don't believe that there is a God. Whereas here... It's the opposite of that. Yes. This has happened, that's happened, so I believe that people need to help God. Yes. No, I completely agree with you. I've got exactly the same same note here. This is why I can't get behind people who say this is blasphemous and sacrilegious. Mm. The story is about questioning your faith and belief system, yes, and why you think the way you do and what you think, and Jesse's the main character. So we spend most of the issues with him. But it's not as if people of faith were portrayed as frothing at the mouth assholes. Yeah. What happened to Featherstone's sister made her turn to her faith even more, and arguably made her just as strong because she's now questioning what Star's doing. Yeah. And that what he's doing, she's now seeing is wrong. But that's not. She doesn't blame anyone else for that. She doesn't think, well, there is no God because this is happening. Mm. It makes her more faithful. Yeah. Because of what's going on. So you did have Ennis did write the other side of it. Mm. So that's why I don't get behind the people who say it's blasphemous and sacrilegious because it's not one-sided. It's not. Which is good writing. Yeah. That's what I think it's good writing. I do love the what's his name the bit at the end. I bet my buddy Big John five dollars you two got lost and came in here by accident. If I was even taught to you, you'd hightail it out the door and not dare say a goddamn word. So what's it gonna be, ladies? And Jesse puts his pint down, and then like with turns and smiles. Yeah, and Cassidy turns and smiles. Yeah, and like with Hitman, when we come back to them, they're all just on the floor with broken noses and missing teeth, mm. and Jesse and Cassidy are just stood there going, just like old times, eh? Which is funny. Which is I like that. I thought that was uh, very very funny. It was good. Yeah, yeah it's good. It's good penultimate issue leading I, into I like the ending. What's about the ending? You like? Where he quotes the film. Oh, yeah, shoot straight, you bastards, and don't make a mess of it. And then they all got blasted and to fuck. And the pair of them are blasted to fuck. The end. Well, he's kind of rude breaking around for you. Yeah. So you don't have to watch that if you don't it's want to. It's going for a very Che Guevara end. Yeah. You're it's only time for Butch and Sundance. Yeah. So that's what it is. Um, final issue. Well, it's not the final issue, it's the last issue of Alimo. There's one. Alimo? What's Alimo? <laughs> Alamo. It's the, it's the knockoff Chinese Alamo. <laughs> the direct DVD version <laughs> of Alamo made in Japan <laughs> Alimo I would be amazed <laughs> a super megazoid attack I don't think this is how that went down the kaiju attack get Alamo capital 
Oh, you've just made Lou Jack and Etty go, oh, now I want to see that. Uh, yeah, um, the problem with the final issue, the only really problem, not final issue, final issue of Alama, is Jesse has this intricate plan. How did he know the characters would act as they did? Because it's the problem whenever they have an intricate plan. How do they know the characters are going to do what they, they do? Right. Now, I suppose you could argue Jesse doesn't allow for Tulip. She's a rogue element completely. But her star has Jesse in his sights from page three. And this is... Is it a double-sized book? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's 30, 38 pages of story. So, you know, it's... Paid time and a half. Double. In it, yeah. So, because so, it was a bit more than normal. Normal issue was what... 395, this was 375. So yeah, it went up by 25 cents because it's a bit more pages. Um, so Star's got the sniper, has got Jesse in his sights from page 3. And then he orders him to stop so Jesse can fight Cassidy. Was this always part of the plan? Because uh, he no. punches Cassidy. If Star had shot him there, the plan would still have happened. Because Jesse has to die for Genesis to leave him, which allows the saint to enter heaven to be waiting for God when he returns. That's the plan. So when he gets shot here, as far as Jesse's concerned, does not matter. But how did the beating of Cassidy... How did he know that would happen? He could have shown up at Alamo at 5am and and Star could have just blasted him and shot him. End of story. Yeah. So Cassidy's not so much a rogue element because he doesn't think Cassidy's going to do what he's doing. He's just planning on beating him. But then Cassidy's also got his own plan going on. That Jesse knows nothing about. Yeah. So there's two plans that are helping and working against each other. But ultimately end up working together. Yeah. Because Jesse thinks he's going to die here. Yeah. So him not dying... Oh, spoilers. Because we've not read the last issue yet. Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't know Cassidy's plan. All right, fair enough. But also maybe... You know, it's, he's been a long time. He would have known her star and what he's like. Yeah, but... If her star is sure he'll enjoy. But the thing with that is, as well, he can't know what Cassidy's planning because we don't know that yet. That only gets revealed in, in issue 66. Yeah. So we don't know what Cassidy's plan is yet. Mm. As far as we're concerned, this issue ends, Jesse's dead. You could actually think the series ends with issue 65 because it's Alamo part 7 off 7. Yeah. For us, you don't know there's an issue 66 because nowhere in this... Does it say to be continued? Nowhere in this does it say there's an issue 66. Mm. You could think this is the last issue. Yeah. What a bummer of an ending if it was, wouldn't it? So, alright, okay, fair enough. Speaking of events that no one can predict, Featherstone and Hoover both try to kill Star and fail. Yeah. And, you know, he can't have factored that into the equation. So in Jesse's original plan, does her Star live? Or is his plan no. for the Saint of Killers to come and wipe yeah. him out later? He says that's what his plan is. Right, so his but plan... But then, the Saint of Killers doesn't even bother showing up here. No, he doesn't. The Saint does his job in heaven. But he doesn't do his we... job on Earth. Well, we don't know that. He could show up and go, well, damn, everyone's <laughs> dead. Job stuff on it. Yeah, and off he goes and, and does whatever else he's got left to do. It would be funny if we found Jesse and killed him after this. I owe you one. Well, no, he just stays on heaven and yeah. it implies that he dies there, doesn't it? Because he's got peace. The same? Yeah. I just got that he went to sleep. All right, okay. He just rested. Yeah. See, I got that he finally found peace and died. Well, before the first issue, yeah. he was asleep and he got woken, woken up. Right. Okay, so maybe he just goes back to sleep. Yeah. 
and nobody's around to wake him up anymore. Alright, fair enough, that, that works. Um, uh, even at the end, Cassidy's a bit of a whiner, but, you know, he knows what his goal is, he knows the deal he's made, which should be revealed in the final issue. So his suicide here doesn't make no difference, mm. really. Jesse was prepared to die for his beliefs. Cassidy, not so much. Mm. So, I Jesse was prepared to die for... Cassidy was prepared to die for Jesse. Yeah, but he knew he was coming back. Yeah. When he did this. That kind of takes the sting away from his sacrifice, doesn't it? Jesse thought he was going to die here. Cassidy knew he wasn't going to die here. There's a difference. Yeah. But the Cassidy died and he, he knew he would come back as a new person. Yeah. And he never... Jesse doesn't know that he comes back, does he? No. As far as I know. Although Tulip gets a note from him in the next issue. We'll have to look at that. But yeah, Cassidy blows up. Um, it was stretching credibility more for me that, that Tulip was a perfect shot throughout this entire story, but misses her star right at the end. Mm. She's nailed everybody. One shot, one kill throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Apart from that. Which, although it did lead us to the bit where she blows his head off. And he's still awake. Yeah, which Breaking Bad would do. Yeah, Breaking Bad would rip that off as well. There's so much of this. That, see, that's, that's probably we're doing a TV series of it now. Yeah. Breaking Bad's stolen bits of this. In fact, Breaking Bad's entire tone is similar to this, isn't it? Mm. Even though the, the actual story beats are different. Yeah. Tonally and how it tells its story, it's, it's very similar to this. Well done. Again, mm. glad I keep you around. <laughs> Um, the penultimate issue wraps up some loose ends, leaves others dangling as such. We are left wondering, is Jesse really dead? Mm. I like how it's 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 written as though it's like a Bible entry or, or a Western movie or like that. What? You know, Jesse in this arc. Yeah. And um, the last page, and that's where they found him dead and covered in the ashes of his friend. Mm. And then he comes back to life three days later. Yes. Resurrection. Yeah. Clever. Mm. That's a lot of sense. <laughs> this is the thing of sending you to a religious school. That is really <laughs> uh, Yeah, alright, the final ever issue of Preacher. Issue 66, cover dated October 2000. The cover, again by Glenn Fabry, features the Saint of Killer's hand reaching for his holster at the gates of heaven. Oh, oh I was thinking about that, Reaches for his holster at the gates of heaven and the... Back out of hell, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember the words. But anyway. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm gonna hit the highway like a battering ram. It's like meatloaf's right. On a silver black, what are you trying to say? You're trying to say I'm fat. <laughs> that's just... <laughs> like a silver black fat on bike. When the engine is hot and the metal is hungry or something like that. We could do all of that, but we're not going to. <laughs> uh, the Saints of Killer's hands reaching for his holes for the gates of heaven as angels fly into attack. As a cover for the last issue. Right. It's not quite as iconic as the one for Hitman, is it? It's not. It's it's pretty apt. Yeah. It fits into the story and Well it's a, a it's a part of the story we don't get to see in the story. It's it's the Saints of Killer's final showdown at dawn. Yeah. Yeah, alright, and we don't actually see that in it. It's a good cover. I don't yeah. I don't I don't think it's it's not a good cover. A hell of a vision. We open with Jesse's letter to Tulip. In it, Jesse outlines his plan to die and release Genesis, allowing the Saints of Killers to ascend to heaven. He tells of his justification for this, that as long as the man in charge is as prideful as he is, mankind cannot move on and no peace. 
He doesn't even know if this will make a blind bit of difference. As if there's one thing he learned in his five years as a preacher. People will believe whatever suits them. And faith, for a lot of people, is simply something to hang their hopes on at the best of times and the bad things they do at the worst. Jesse tells Tulip he loves her and leaves her a key to a locker with some cash. And so, when Jesse finds himself resurrected without explanation, complete with both eyes, he heads to the locker. Tulip tells him she's leaving and he shouldn't try to stop her. He says he won't. Tulip tells him that Star is dead. Jesse tells her likewise Cassidy. Tulip points out that Jesse's great quest is over. Was it worth it? Where exactly has all that macho bullshit really got him? As Tulip leaves, Jesse finds a note in his pocket. It's from Cassidy. It says he doesn't know if this worked, but if it did, maybe they both got saved. Maybe Jesse's quest wasn't about saving the world. Maybe it was about saving one man. Way to go, Cassidy. Make it all about you. Turns out Cassidy made a deal to beat the Genesis out of Jesse so the Almighty could end it all. With Genesis gone, he could return, and Cassidy only wanted two things. Both he and Jesse live. And although the events didn't transpire as Cassidy said they would, the Almighty kept his end of the deal. Both men lived. In the car, Tulip also finds a letter from Cassidy. He finally admits that Jesse's last words were, Tell her I love her. When in fact Cassidy had told Tulip Jesse said nothing. She looks out to see Jesse on a horse at her side. He came back for her. Because love isn't born of reason or logic. Love is stupid and irrational. It comes from the heart and it makes no damn sense. But we don't have to accept how things are. We can make our lives and the world we want it to be. Or we ain't worth nothing. And for the first time since his father was killed, Jesse learns to cry. In heaven, the saint of killers waits. The Almighty arrives and at first threatens and then begs. But the saint wants nothing but to rest. Jesse and Tulip ride off into a literal sunset. Jesse tells Tulip he never wanted to be a preacher. Guess what he wanted to be? Hell girl. Can you tell? <laughs> Watching that same sunset, a human caster decides that it's high time he started living like a man. Oh! All the feels. Uh, the final issue is a culmination of many of the themes of the series. And whilst it can be remembered for its juvenile and gross humour, Preacher also tackled incredibly diverse and often taboo subjects. Subjects such as incest, bestiality, gore, violence, foul language, cannibalism, rape, murder, sex and religion all sat side by side in a story that could easily be dismissed as controversial or obscene. I don't think it was either. You know, the only time I've ever actually been slightly uncomfortable with Preacher yeah. was the depiction of God. Not because of how I viewed it, I just thought of how, you know, you've got to have some pretty big balls mm. to depict God as a poncy asshole who then gets shot at the end. Well, it's, it's interesting that, that you put that. Uh, preacher exists to challenge what the reader believes. Yeah. And religion tends to exist in this spiritual black and white world. You either believe or you don't believe. Mm. And I personally don't subscribe to that. Nothing's black and white. Yeah. So Preacher takes on what's called the deism theological argument, mm. which is what we were talking about earlier on. Deism, uh, pronoun, deism, deity. So deism. it's deism, isn't yeah. it? You know about that? I don't know. All oh, right, okay. It's the belief that a supreme being commonly called God exists 
but this being is unknowable, untouchable, and undefinable. Right, okay. So it's ultimately, well, what's the point in believing in him then, Mm. if he's all those things? But it's still acknowledging his existence. Yeah. And Daniel Golota, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, argues that Preacher successfully manages to make the case that the God in this story is theism gone wrong. He professes to want man to have freedom of will, but that freedom of will is then to be given over to him. Hmm. Galotta is a member of the Christian Comic Book Society, and his reading of Preacher is really fascinating and interesting. Yeah. It's available, if you want to go and check it out, on Sequart, S-E-Q-U-R-T, is that Sequart? Is that how you pronounce that? I, I don't know. Sequart.org, slash magazine, slash 442, slash the hyphen, God hyphen, of hyphen preacher. Okay. And it's a fascinating article. Because mm. I was when I was looking this up, I was actually interested in going, all right, let's see if there is somebody who, who argues for this who is religious. Yeah. And he did, and he did a very good job of it. I was really impressed mm. with his reading of it. It's just you get that thing where, you know, people say, God could be a woman... And God's depicted as a man with a beard. Mm. It's like, you don't know what he looks like, so I always thought it was a bit interesting, and a bit maybe, probably the most controversial thing Ennis has done, to depict God as as that, as a fact. That is who God is. Mm. Well, the God of this story. Yeah. You can have the, but you get the, in the story of Preacher, this God is the God. Yeah. Yes, and he, he portrays him as being everything that man is. He's prideful and boastful. Yeah. and man was created in the image of God. Yeah, so it's 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 a satisfying ending to the story. Um, for me, Preacher's message is simple. Yeah. You live your life. You choose how to live that life, and you ultimately have the power to change things. If you choose to believe in a God to help you live that life, fine. If you don't, equally fine but you don't got the right to tell others how to live mm. which is ultimately what this is about isn't it yeah Jesse ultimately finds out like Je- like Julie passed him where's all that macho bullshit got you he doesn't have the right to tell people how to live mm. even though he wants to get rid of the thing that people look up to and worship but like he says in the letter the issue opens with a two page text letter as he says in that, I don't even know if this is going to make a blind bit of difference. Whether he's there or not, though, people are going to believe whatever the hell they want to believe. Yeah. So, does he accomplish anything? Other than Salvation Texas, where he clearly made a difference. Yeah. So, but ultimately, in the larger picture, he's not. No. But, but he's made his little part of the earth better. Yeah. For being there. Hmm. Which isn't that what all of us should do? If we make our own little parts of the world better, then surely the knock-on effect of that... Yeah. And whether you're religious or not, isn't that the basic tenets of religion? Mm. Make your own little bit better, and look after everybody else, and the world will be a better place. Yeah. Seems to me a lot of people don't recognise that. Well, God ain't the problem. Sometimes it's religion that's the problem. No, you're absolutely right. Sometimes he isn't. Lovely art from Steve Dillon. Oh, yeah. Two two-page splashes of them just riding into the sunset. Colouring's gorgeous, though. Mm. We've, not act- we've actually talked more about the, the, the story, story and the, the themes. themes and not really mentioned the artwork. And Dillon's brilliant in this. And Pamela Rambo, who is wonderfully named. Yeah. Somebody works on Preacher called Rambo. <laughs> the colouring job is, is gorgeous. And it's a satisfying ending, isn't it? It is. 
For everyone? Everyone gets a happy ending, unlike Hitman. Mm. Well, you argued they got a happy ending there, didn't you? Yeah. So. But this, it's a very standard happy ending. Yeah. Um, and like Hitman, this concludes with lots of, of posters. Well, I say posters, full page images. The big surprise in this one is that Bruce Tim did one. Alright. The last one, that's Bruce Tim. Oh, yeah. So that's great. Bruce Tim portrayed two people in bed naked. Not what you expect from the uh, the man who did Batman. It's not, but I've I've seen some Bruce Tim drawings. Oh yeah, he's into his cheesecake. He isn't is. He? Yeah, so that's fair. Enough. Brian Bolland did one as well. It was quite nice. JG Jones. JG Jones's Saints of Killers is a good one. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're all quite they're all quite good. I think that last issue is perfect. Yeah. The only problem I have with it is I can't read Jesse's handwriting. Not Jesse's. Uh, Cassidy's. Can you know? Oh, see, I had no problem reading that. So there you go. The the implication of that is that they know he's alive. No, I got that. That she put that in the before. There's no way he could have done it afterwards. Yeah, how did Cassidy get that letter to Tulip? Hmm. When did he go back and see Tulip? Maybe he just slipped it in a bag at some point. Well, is it in the bag that's in the locker? No. Because if that's the case, how did he know to go... No, it's a backpack. Hmm. She's pulling that backpack out of the locker. Right, okay. So how did Cassidy know, know about the locker? another bag on her. Yeah, but it's the backpack. Oh, no, you're right. It's her purse that she pulls the note out of, because there's the backpack. Yeah. So how Yeah, how did Cassidy get that letter to her? I don't know. <laughs> I did think that... Did the letter where Cassidy said... What... Jesse's last words were affect her decision of going Accepting back Accepting Jesse with, back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. her learning they were the words that he said made her. So if, if Cassidy hadn't lied to Tulip, they would have split up at this point and not gone back together. Very possible. If Cassidy had never given her that letter, yeah. they would have never got back together. But you know, there's the hilarious scene where he sees the horse. Yeah, and the horse the brilliant is being abused. The one crime I can never commit is horse theft. And then the guy's beating on the horse, and he's like, "Then again, because yeah. he's not got the word of God now. He's not. So he presumably just kicked the crap out of her. Yeah. So he's learned nothing. <laughs> Basically, has he? All right. Okay. Well, that was what I got from preacher. What did you get from preacher? Um, like I said at the beginning of the show, Jesse Custer. Whilst being macho and ultimately too big-headed and sometimes wrong, is ultimately a good person. Is he your and hero? I, I, I guess. Is he your role model? I, I guess so. Because he's... I reckon so. Throughout the series, it's all about righting wrongs. Are yeah. the decisions you make at one point in your life... Consequences. Yeah. Uh, you know, are you the same person... After you make those decisions, do you regret what you did? Do you take responsibility? Which goes into what I said to this is about asking why. How many people don't do that? A lot of people just go through life blindly. Yeah. They don't ever question what they've done. They don't ever look back and look at the decisions they've made and go, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have done that. We've got one in our family. (laughs) So, you know, that's what it's ultimately about. Hmm. To me, maybe about something else, to somebody else. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there were far too many great moments in the series as a whole to go through here, but Jesse taking down the Ku Klux Klan white supremacists yeah. with that line, why is it the greatest champions of the white race turn out to be the worst examples of it? That was brilliant. That mm. was absolutely... Because wasn't that followed up with, where is your chin? 
Yeah. Because the guy had no chin, which was genius. And uh, Jesse beating the living shit out of Jody. Yeah. Was an awesome moment. As was Tulip telling TC, my name is Tulip, before blowing its goddamn head off. Because he just called her coos all the time, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. So that was, that was great. Any time the Saints of Killers was unleashed yeah. was genius. Particularly, give him hell. Give me all the hell you got. That was brilliant. Um, Ennis's beautiful descriptions of the American landscape. Sometimes yes. it takes a foreigner to make you appreciate a place. And, of course, Jesse and Tulip, one of the most convincing romances in comics. Until the end of the world. Mm-hmm. That was great. Wither the Preacher. Well, there have been a number of attempts to bring this to the screen, all of which have fallen foul of the controversy surrounding the more religious aspects of the series. Rachel Talalay, who's now working on Doctor Who, Mark Stephen Johnson, who directed the Daredevil and Ghost Rider movies, and Sam Mendes, who recently made Skyfall and Spectre, all tried and failed to get adaptations of this off the ground. However, as we've mentioned a couple of times as we've gone through the story, there does seem to be a success story here. Seth Rogen, a member of the Judd Apatow company of overly smug irritants, has succeeded in producing a pilot for AMC in which Howard Stark, Dominic Cooper, will play Jesse. Were you not happy with that? I I can see that. I'm not kind of... Nothing has convinced me. Well, okay. Well, you've not seen him do it yet. I've not seen him do it, but Seth Rogen, for a start... Yeah, but he's not in it. He's not. He's just producing it. But... You know, I don't want to... You don't want to prejudge. Wanna, yeah, but considering his line of work, I do not think that Seth Rogen is a good fit to write Preacher. Until I see it, I believe that he will go down the comedic route. Right. Well, Garth the Ennis... on the surface route. Garth Ennis has been on set. Right. But like, like we've said throughout this, Supernatural's ripped an awful lot of this off. Yeah. So is it just going to come across as, what are they doing that for? Supernatural did that, mm. even though this predates it. Maybe HBO would be a better fit. Maybe, well, it's, it's on AMC, is that? AMC's Home of the Walking Dead? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Have I don't Nick, know. what's its face do it? The guy who did True Detective. Have him direct uh, the Preacher TV show, it'll be great. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what they're going to do to it. I, I'm not... I'm not on the edge of my seat waiting for it. No, and I am prejudging. But at, but the, but at the same time, I'm willing to watch the pilot and, and see what happens. We'll just have to wait and see. The pilot may not go to a series. Yeah. There's a very real possibility this won't get picked up. Because can you imagine this being on television? Although in a world where the new Fantastic Four movie can make it to the big screen. Yeah, and then tank spectacularly. It still gives every single other project hope. Well, alright, fair enough. So what have we learned? Well, faith is where you find it, for what? Jesus, I'm quoting Madonna. (laughs) Uh, But the most important takeaway from Preacher, stand by your friends, judge a man by what's inside of them, not what they look like, and be one of the good guys. Because there's too many of the bad. That's my boy. Next time, it's the last ever episode of Hey Kids Comics. It is. 250 episodes, five years. Yeah. It's all led to this. See you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time, sooner or later.
laser gotta cut you down. Send our laser gotta cut you down. Go tell that long tongue liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell 'em that God's gonna cut 'em down. Tell 'em that God's gonna cut 'em down. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee, talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me with a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels' feet. He called my name and my heart stood still. When he said, "John, go do my will. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider." Tell the rambler, the gambler, Kids Comics is a The Devil Will Find Work for Idle Hands to Do production. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only. And no infringement is intended, so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either, which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them, and look after them, but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com, and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell 'em that God's gonna cut you down. Tell 'em that God's gonna cut you down. Tell 'em that God's gonna cut you down. Right, we're ready. Yeah. Warning. No, that's a bit. Danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Warning, Preacher is a mature reader's comic book. On with the show. Willie's. What was that all about? Warning. Is that a warning? It is. Excellent. Because you said it's... it's Willie's. Yeah, it's a mature topic. Obi-Wank Kenobi. <laughs> I never fail to make you laugh. I just kick something. Oh, I forgot they were there. What are they? It's my knives and forks and such. 